name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever into the ages of all ages, amen. I know if uh, you remember, for those of you who are here, I think you were, maybe all were here last time, um, we said that we were going to slightly change the format from like a lot of talking to half talking and half discussion questions. And you have the discussion questions already. They've been handed out. Some of them are not really discussion questions. Some of them are like review questions. Like, were you listening? Did you understand? Did you learn anything? You know? So they actually have a right answer and a wrong answer, right? Um, like, why did God create humankind? The first question. So, like, we're going to address it. And then we'll, those questions will go fast. And the other questions that have more discussion, uh, you know, we will discuss more and we'll pray at the end. So, last week we did an introduction, this week we're talking about foundations. What is the foundation of our Orthodox faith? Our Orthodox faith, the whole thing, the whole kit and caboodle is built on what? Quite simply, quite simply, the church is humankind's participation in the unending love of the Holy Trinity. This is like, a, like it could be a summary slide or an intro slide, right? But the church, the gathering of believers, us, that like Tansu very clearly pointed out to us the last time we met and talked, right? The gathering of believers, not the building, not the uh, institution, not the legal entity, not the financial entity, the bank and our the, the accountants and our taxes, no, not all of that. The gathering of believers, us, right, is... Our is humankind's participation in the relationship that the persons of the Trinity have with each other, which is unending love. So the summary of all our orthodoxy is quite simply this. God became man that man might become God or like God, right? St. Athanasius and then quoted umpteen times by a million people otherwise, right? God created us in his own image and likeness. So that we could be like him, and so we could participate with him in the things that he does. Right? So, the whole point of creating us in his image and likeness was so we could participate with him. Right? Like, you know, you all know that I have like an 18-month-old daughter, right? So, now we're working on like shapes and colors and whatever, right? So, the little cube can only fit in the little square hole. It can't fit in the round hole or the triangle hole, or, right? So if Jesus is like, uh, like, a, like a circle, uh, he w wasn't going to create us a square because then we wouldn't be able to do the things that he does, to participate in his life, to do, to live the life that he lives. So he created us like a carbon copy of him, you know, like a photocopy, like a carbon copy of him. That's sort of what it means in his, in his image and likeness. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. And that's why God created the world. And that's why you were born. That's why I was born. Because God wants you and me and each one of us, little members of this gathering of this group of people, of this church, to participate in the life of the Holy Trinity. That's the reason. That's why we're here. That's what we're doing here. As understood by the Orthodox Church. Everybody has their own right to their own ideas of purpose and so on. But we're just presenting what the Orthodox Church is saying. Right? So he makes himself known 
by making us like Him. So in looking deeply at ourselves, we can get to know Him. But in, in Orthodoxy, we believe that God is only known through revelation. God is too big, too, too, I don't have a word for it. Too much, too everything, too uncircumscribed, too unlimited, too, to be known by deduction or by discovery or, you know, you can't experiment and discover God. But God can reveal Himself and reveals Himself through a multitude of different things. Right? In Exodus 33:11, it says that and Moses spoke to God face to face. Face to face. Right? And that's our understanding of God, that God is face to face. The word face to face in Greek is persona. Persona. God is persona. God is not an individual. An individual is one who is defined as different from the other. A person, according to the very literal understanding in Greek, is one who is defined by being in relationship. So God is by definition personal, having a relationship between the Father and the Son and the, and the Holy Spirit, and the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit, and so on, right? He is by definition personal. He is that personal is what He is, Pers being in personal relationship. Now, of course, we use the term individual for everything, right? But this concept of individual is exactly the opposite of what our understanding of God is. But we haven't done a very good job of, of being personal and staying in personal relationship with God and with humankind. So what does God do? He sends His only begotten Son who is in the very image of God for us to see Him and to examine Him and to know Him. And on a cosmological level, like not on a personal level, but now on a, on a, on a level of sort of the relationship between God and humankind, right? He is like, he's like the mold, like in the picture here, like, like there's a, like a ball of clay and somebody put it in the mold and then pulled it and then pulled it out. Like the artists can tell us better how that works, right? But basically, right? So his, his own son being in his very image was like the mold and he gathered up our whole broken and fragmented humanity. Right? We're all killing each other and we're all hating each other and we're all cutting each other off. And in the sermon last week, I was talking about how, like, how anger is murder, right? Like, you know, I don't like Marlon, so I block her on Facebook, right? I want nothing to do with her. I cut her off. She's dead to me, right? My anger produces, in a certain fashion, murder or literally may, may produce literally murder. Jesus came to do the opposite, to, to bring back together. Right? Imagine that Jesus in the very Im is, this is this is who He is, and we're created in His image. So now the, the clay has broken and fallen apart in a million pieces. So then He takes all the little pieces of clay and puts them back in the mold. Right? Puts them back, back in the mold. Right? And 
mixes them up with some water of baptism and puts them in the oven of the fire of the Holy Spirit and recreates the image, right? Because we're made in His image. Like, we're made, in, we're made, we're made, to, look like, we're made to look like Him, right? And so from that we see that God is love. His very essence is love. It's not a characteristic. It's not like a way to describe him. Oh, um, I really love, like David. He's a very loving person. No, God is not a loving person. He is love. Like his, his existence is love. His, his, what he is, what he does is love. So this, this is what the doctrine of the Trinity is. A lot of people say, well, this whole Trinity business, I, I, don't, I really don't get it, right? There's a lot more that can be said and huge books with multiple volumes that have been written. But in essence, this is the Trinity. Personal. If you can remember the word, word personal, you can remember the word Trinity. That's all it is, right? And what ties these persons together is love. And what do they do together? Love. And, uh, and what's their, their common mode of communication? Love. A little funny story, I, I may have told it before. Um, uh, in the church I grew up in, you know, we always used to have arguments amongst the deacons. Should we pr be praying more English or more Arabic or more Coptic? And there's all these arguments all the time, right? So we're sitting in a deacon's meeting, ripping each other's heads off as usual, right? Discussing these things. And uh, one of the really young deacons, like a little four or five-year-old was sitting with us. And Abuna happened to walk by, <laughs> ran and grabbed Abuna, and he brought him into the room. And Abuna was probably trying to avoid us like the plague, you know. And uh, he goes to him, uh, Abuna, what language are we going to speak in heaven? He figured he could resolve the issue. So Abuna looked at us and said, we're going to speak the language of love. If you don't learn how to speak it here on earth, you're going to be terribly lonely in heaven. Love is, is, is everything of what God is. And this is what we are created for. St. John tells us, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. That's it. That's all God wants from us, to love Him and to love each other. St. Macarius, who's, like, who's you know, a huge founder of monasticism um, in the more uh, like eastern deserts of Egypt, you know, following the rule of Saint, rules of St. Anthony and so on, right? Um, you know, had taught so much about monasticism and so much about humility and so much about this and so much about prayer, so much about all of these things. And many, 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 many saints were his children from his teaching, St. Maximus and St. Domedius, many saints, right? At the end of his life, all he told the monks was love one another. That's enough. That's enough. You don't need to learn any, you don't need to, any other teaching. This is enough for you. Love one another. That's all. If you can manage to love each other completely as, as, as you are, the, king, the kingdom of heaven is yours. St. John the Apostle also said of him the same thing. We are created to love as God himself loves. We are created in his image, which defines our purpose. If God is love and we are created in his image, then we were made to, to love. If, if Jesus is like, back to the little you know, analogy of like the little shapes again, if Jesus is a circle, he's made to go in the little circle hole, right? If Jesus is a little heart, 
block he's made to go in the little heart hole. If you and I are made in his image and likeness, if he's a little heart, we're also little hearts. We're not going to fit in the square hole. Well, we're not going to fit in the circle hole or in the triangle hole. If we fit, we're always going to feel like something is missing because that's not what we were made for. And hence, to be truly human is to truly do what we were created for. We talk about this in Life 101, how what it means to be fully human and fully alive. To be fully alive is to f be fully living what you were made to live for, right? So uh, suppose like, you know, lots of people buy SUVs now, right? But, uh, you know, they, they, you know, and you can put it in like two-wheel drive or four-wheel drive, but most people leave it off the, off the four-wheel drive because it consumes more gas. And then, you know, every now and again, you feel like you're slipping or whatever, so you put it into four-wheel drive. Now suppose, suppose like in my old Pathfinder, it was really finicky, it had this really finicky stick shift to put it into four-wheel drive. My sister couldn't be bothered, right? So she never put it into four-wheel drive, right? So what's the point of it being in four, like a, like a four-wheel drive car? You only use it in two-wheel drive. So there's like a function there that is not used. It's not, the car is not being fully used to its maximum potential. In as much as I'm not living the fullness of the life of Christ, in as much as I'm also using some of my potential, but not all of it. So I'm not fully alive. I'm not using the fullness, making the, the most of the fullness of the life that God had given, has given me. St. Basil says, man is a creature with orders to become God. All of this, you can understand it through this. But as we mentioned earlier, we've done a marvelous job of that. We've totally missed the mark as a humanity. And not speaking about you personally, right? Maybe personally as well. I feel like I, maybe I've totally missed the bullseye. And quite frankly, that's not, if someone were to look at my life, that's not how they would describe it, right? And God knows that. And I know it's going to sound weird, but that's God has made that okay. Not um, his desire, but he has found a way to accommodate all of my failure. And that way is his incarnation. That way is his coming and remaking the image so that we can take another crack at it. Right? So St. John says in uh, chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the image of God had been completely obliterated from the face of the earth. So He was incarnate again, so we could behold Him, so we could see Him. St. Athanasius says that, God did not need to become incarnate for us to see Him and know Him and recognize Him as evidenced by the people in the Old Testament that never saw Christ incarnate and knew Him, you know, and were able to recognize Him in prophecies and so on, all these things, right? But the overwhelming majority of humanity was completely ignoring God's fingerprints in creation. 
So they didn't learn. They didn't see, they didn't see the, the greatness of God in, like, in the mountains and, the, and the, the, the God's great attention to detail and like how every snowflake is different one from another and so on and so on and so on. They didn't use nature to learn about God. They used nature like similar how we use nature now, just to abuse it and use it for our own selfish purposes. Hence, they didn't know Him, right? So He was incarnate so He could reveal to us the glory, the glory of God, right? We failed to ascend to heaven, so he descended to come to us. Incarnation is just that, this very simple concept that the word of God, the second person of the Trinity, became fully God and fully man. That's all that word means. But he didn't just descend to earth, he descended to Hades. He descended to the lowest place in the universe. Not just the lowest place that we witness in our life, but the lowest place in the universe. That he might be there to remake the image, even of the people in Hades. Like even of the people who had already done. Right? Because they didn't have the chance that the people who were alive would have had. So he went and he preached in Hades. And that's what we celebrate between Good Friday... And, and Easter Sunday, there's this beautiful service, uh, one of my favorite, my, probably my favorite service in the whole, of all the services in the Coptic Church is Bright Saturday. It starts like at 11 p.m. usually on Friday night, a great Friday, and it goes till about 7 in the morning. And there we celebrate Jesus going to Hades and triumphing over all death. Like now there's nothing that can stand before him, Right? And as long as we're with him, nothing that can stand before us. So St. Gregory says, what is not assumed is not healed. Jesus assumed all of our brokenness, all of our sinfulness, all of our, forgive me, perversion. Like when you take something and you use it, not it is supposed to be used, that's what perversion is. That's what a perverted person is, right? Right? So... St. Mark the ascetic says, All the penalties imposed by divine justice upon man for the sin of the first transgression, death, toil, hunger, thirst, and the like, he took upon himself, becoming what we are so that we might become what he is. So incarnation is humanity's passage from death to life. Like, incarnation is on a cosmic level, what baptism is on a personal level. As, when, as a person, when I get baptized, I go from being dead to being alive. A new crea- being an old man to being a new man. Being an old creation with all of its brokenness to being a new creation. Made in the image and likeness of Christ. So, incarnation is the baptism of all of humanity. The recapitulation of all of humanity. The reforming and remaking of all of humanity. Does that make sense? Right? So if, we under, like if we're looking at God's relationship with all of humanity, like how does He renew it? Incarnation. If we're looking at God's relationship with you and me on a very personal level, when, when, when was Christ incarnate in me? When did I become a temple of the Holy Spirit? When did I become a new creation? When did I become a new man? In the baptistry, in the baptismal font. Does that make sense? So is it like one at a macro level and one at a micro Yes, exactly. Because at the end of the day, the relationship between God and all of His creation is affected through 
his body, which is the church, which is a gathering of believers. So it makes sense that there be like a macro, like a, a macro level and a micro level because the macro is a, com, is a, I don't know what the right word is, right? A gathering of a bunch of little microbes. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. If it doesn't, just ask. So, St. Paul tells us in Galatians, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Because you are sons, God has given you the spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So now that we're remade in the image of, of the second person of the Trinity, the Son, it's only natural that we, our hearts cry out and say to God, Father, the same way that Jesus cries out and says, Father. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. If, if, if I were to ask you, what is the gospel? What is the good news? Like, we're here to tell the world the good news, right? What is the good news? That's the good news. That God loves you with exactly the same love that He loves His only begotten Son. And He wants you to love Him back with exactly the same love that His only begotten Son has for the Father. But you can't, you can't get your head wrapped around that unless you have some idea of what the Trinity is. And you can't get your head wrapped around that unless you have some idea of what incarnation is. Right? So that's what we said last time, that the Trinity and Incarnation are these two foundational pillars that all the rest of our faith is based on. So Jesus teaches us to pray and say, Our Father. Right? And we'll talk a lot more about that much later. But, right? So when Jesus teaches us to pray, when Jesus teaches us to address God, He teaches us to address God as our Father. So Jesus' incarnation begins at the Annunciation. He didn't have a human body really to speak of before that. And continues on to eternity. As he takes, as he dies, descends to Hades, comes back, his soul rejoins his body, and he, he, he spent 40 days with his disciples, and then ascends to heaven. He takes his body, his humanity, the humanity, the broken, which is, which is our humanity, broken, remade in Him. And He takes it up to heaven and ascends to heaven and sits at the right hand of His Father. And we've spoken a few times already about how like this, the architecture of the church or the, the or, order of the church is that like, when you walk in, the first thing you see in, in, in the, on the eastern wall is Christ sitting in the bosom of the Father. And you and I, remember, we're little members in that humanity. That, like that macro-micro thing, right? So Jesus is the macro. He's recapitulated all of humanity in Himself. Which, one of those humans is me. And so I have my place. I have my place there at the bosom of the Father. I have my place there at the right hand of the power in heaven. So, the church is the continuation of the incarnation. The church is the body of Christ. And so, Jesus was incarnate. 
took flesh, became fully God and fully man, that you and I might also become God. So then you and I, the church, the gathering, are the continuation of his incarnation. So like last week when I was saying like, you know, like I can't walk in the forest and have communion with God. I can, I can feel... I can, I can feel far from all the distractions of the world. I can feel far from all of the rest of the insanity of humanity. I can, there's a lot of benefits to taking a nature walk, right? But Christ is not found in a nature walk the way that we say that Christ is incarnate in the church. Again, the gathering of believers, not the building or the whatever, right? So, just like St. Paul says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the, me- all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. So, when someone t- comes and tells me, Why do I need to be baptized, Father John? I've already been baptized. My question is, You've been baptized into what body? Right? The same body that we are, or a different one? Right? And that's all based on faith. Right? It's a topic for another day. Right? But it's this idea that once baptized, I've entered and become a member of this body. This living body, which is the continuing living continuation of Jesus' incarnation. Does all of this make sense? Stop me if it doesn't, because like, there's only a couple of slides left. So stop. Yeah, I agree. I agree about everything, but also I feel like, like sometimes, maybe because I'm not like fully alive yet, and I'm not fully in communion with both of my brothers and sisters, like I can see Christ more incarnated, in like in a nature walk, more than you know, sometimes our gathering, or maybe sometimes as like, you know, as like a retreat with, you know, some other believers, you know what I mean? So, I don't know, like, I feel like if I'm really fully alive, I would see Christ in the tree, like I would see Christ in the poor, I would see Christ in my co-worker, like I would see Christ in everything, like if I'm fully alive. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. And also the likeliness of the nature walk doing bad things to you is very small. Right? That's, I'll be very honest with you, that's why we see God in the nature walk. Right? That's why we don't see God in the gathering of believers. Because these believers are nice some days and naughty other days. Right? Right? And, as, and only Santa Claus is keeping track, right, of who's naughty and nice. Right? But that's why we prefer the nature walk to the gathering of believers. Because the gathering of believers aren't going to spread rumors about you, say bad things about you, take things that aren't theirs, etc., etc. Right? That's why we prefer the nature walk. Right? But the nature, the nature walk is, it's, sure, it has God's fingerprints all over it. That's what I was saying before. St. Athanasius says that you, you can, we, humanity should have been able to know God without his incarnation. But didn't, right? Maybe I shouldn't transpose my intentions on other people, but I think it's fair to say that a lot of people find it, find finding God in solitude, away from the insanity of this world, easier because you're away from the insanity of this world. 
We pray that the insanity not invade the church, but that the church invade the insanity. For sure, like when, like there's certainly a role for like we talk like about having boundaries and boundaries being a means of unconditional love as opposed to being a means of just staying away from the people you don't like and and but everything is, everything is trying to for us in our in our brokenness to be able to love unconditionally, right? So for sure, from a practical perspective, there's a lot that can be said about. You know, how do you love the people that hurt you, that harm you, you know, like Jesus commands us to? Um, I was wondering if this point to another point at the beginning of the uh, presentation. Um, we aren't perfect. We are perfect. Um, we are the image of God, not the everything. I mean, uh, we are selfish by nature. Um, glory, glory is only for God, not for us. So, we are not the identical image. We will not be the identical image of God. But, uh, might be, uh, I mean, Abbas uh, and might mean that we might be, the human might be God, um, in the way of perfection, but not in all attributes or characteristics of uh, the human God, right? Yeah, we'll talk about, we'll probably talk about this in a lot more detail later, right? But yes, there will always be a profound difference between us and Christ, in that He is a son by nature, we are children by adoption. So there will always be that difference. But when you talk about the passions, uh, selfishness, lust, greed, gluttony, uh, apathy, all these, other, all these other passions, and you say we're, we're different than God, naturally different by God than that, what I'm trying to say is actually no. We consider that, the, 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 the state of the passions, to be unnatural. Right? And the natural state is to be free from passion. The natural state is to be like Adam and Eve before the fall. Let me give you an example. When a miracle happens, what's a miracle? Right? Most people say when the natural laws of nature are suspended and supernatural things happen. Right? Somebody has cancer, they're supposed to die, and whoop, cancer is gone. Right? That's what people call a miracle. We say, no, no, no. Right? That's nature's laws being applied. God didn't create us to get sick. God didn't create us to get cancer. And God didn't create us to die. God created us to be a perfect image of Him and to live forever immortal in as much as we're united to Him. Right? And we entered into this unnatural state where we, you know, when we departed, when we, when we sinned, corruption took seed in our flesh, we began to get sick and we began to die. So that's unnatural. So we look at this whole world and we say it's unnatural, right? We look at the natural world and say this is not normal. This is not how God created the world to be, right? Does that make sense? It's kind of a matter of perspective, you know? It's a matter of perspective. You know, if, 
if, if, um, if you all are uh, sane and I am psychotic, then you all point to me and say, you're crazy, right? Doesn't matter which one of us is right. You know? If you, if, if, if you say, you know, if, if everybody here says the walls are black, I'm like, no, the walls are beige and brown. Walls are not black. And like, no, it's a common consensus of agreement that this is black, right? Well, then that makes me wrong because I'm just the odd one out, right? But does it, am I wrong or am I right? You know? So just because the rest of the world is saying, no, this is how life is, right? Doesn't mean, that, doesn't mean that they're right. And they have every reason to say that because they haven't had a revelation of God. So it's not like people are bad or they're stupid or they're wicked or they're evil or the no no no, right? They just haven't had a revelation of God. Like we said at the very beginning, God can only be known by revelation, right? So just carrying on really quickly. So then to share in the life of the church is to share in the life of Christ. So the life of Christ is only lived through his body, is only lived in the church. Again, as we understand it. Like we said last week, we're not here to judge anybody or to point fingers at anybody or anything, right? But as we, as we understand it. St. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So in being baptized, I'm no longer an individual. I have become a person. I've become a person in community. Everywhere I look, I see faces. Everywhere I look, I'm looking at someone and someone is looking at me. Everywhere I look, I'm in relationship. What does that sound like? The Trinity. Jesus tells us that life is only found in Him. Sorry, this script is small. It's from John 6, 51 to 57. And I, I, I ate up a couple of the verses so it wouldn't be too long. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. I want you to count how many times, start reading it again from the top. How many times Jesus says, if you, if you eat of this bread, if you eat my flesh and so on, you will live forever. I want us to count them. Okay? I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. Four times Jesus says, very simple. Life is only found in me, and I get it from the Father. So if you want to have life, you need to eat me. Don't eat me, don't got life. Eat me, got life. Really, really plain and simple. For us, we understand this literally. And that's why Holy Communion is like the apex of our worship. Right? 
everything revolves around Holy Communion. Right? So we worship God and we receive life from Him in Holy Communion. We go out to the world to give life and be the life of the world after we've had Holy Communion. Right? Quite simply, the church is the sacrament of Christ's presence on earth. A sacrament is a physical manifestation of spiritual phenomenon. The church is the physical manifestation of the life of Christ on earth. That's what the church is. Right? That's what we're here to do. So, very simply, the Trinity and the Incarnation are, every, are everything in the church. These two doctrines, everything revolves around these two doctrines. Everything can be found in these two doctrines. The church is the Incarnation of the life of the Holy Trinity. Like the visible manifestation of the life of the Holy Trinity on earth is the church. Capital C. Right? It is the experience of salvation itself. So that's why what Jesus is inviting us to is to do what we were created to do, which is to live in according to our image that we were made in, which is His image, which is to participate in this love and this life of the Holy Trinity. So each one of our talks is going to have like a little applied, applied section. So this is the little application. We'll finish with this and then go into the discussion questions. The Probably the most common act of devotion Christian people do is the sign of the cross, right? So I figured this is a good time to talk about it because it ties into what we've been talking about and it's something that we do so, so much. So it's not a good luck charm, you know, like it's not like, it's not like a Hail Mary, it's not like a, a like, you know, like, like, you know, you see like basketball players before they take that free throw shot that's going to make the, the difference between winning the game and losing, right, you know, a quick, you know, right, uh, it's, it's, I mean, I mean, maybe they are genuinely praying, I'm not here to judge anybody, right, but a lot of us, you know, like boom, 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 like, you know, right, give it a quick one, you know, right, and, and, right, that's not, um, that, you know, that's fine for, for I, I'm again not here to judge anybody or anything, but, but what are we actually doing? So, uh, you know, this like, you know, is like, you know, you may have heard this before, so forgive me. So when we do the sign of the cross, of course, again, I'm not saying like there's a right way and a wrong way, but the way that the church teaches is very simply like this. So we take our thumb and our third and fourth fingers and bring them together. Why don't you like follow me, right? And then, if you're able, if you're like flexible enough, right, you form like a kind of a W with your, with your pinky finger and the bump that's here now and your, and, and, your, and your index finger. And then you curl this guy like this, okay? So that's, that, you know, if we're going to be very proper about it, like that's how we make the sign of the cross, right? Or how we position our hand. Then we bring it to our forehead, and then to our navel, and then to one shoulder, to our left shoulder, and then to our right. That's how we do it in the Coptic Orthodox Church. And I'll just share a little bit of the difference with the Eastern Church and why that is. It's actually very funny that it's just a matter for session. Huh? You do whatever you want. You do whatever you want, do whatever you want but I'm, gonna just, I'm just gonna explain to you that I'm just gonna explain to you the meanings because everything we're doing, we're, we're doing, we're trying to take our faith and live it out. We're trying to take our faith and express it. It's supposed to be an expression of our faith. So what are we doing? So our thumb, we're bringing our thumb and our three fingers together, the Trinity, 
right? That are coming together, right? And they are, you know, your thumb is an opposing finger. It opposes the others. They're facing each other. They're persona, right? They're personal. They're not having, they're not three fingers next to each other. They're three fingers facing each other. Even, even like, like the way they are, like it's very hard to keep your two, your third and fourth fingers perfectly straight. You've, my, my fourth finger is always going to curve in a little bit, a tiny bit, right? Because it's, sh- it's shorter, right? So they end up kind of all overlapping each other like that, right? So the Trinity and our faith, that it, our faith is personal. And three become one, or three which are, which are one. The third and fourth fingers together, right? The two that have become one, his incarnation, his humanity and his divinity, Right? His humanity and His divinity. And the three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? So then, what's with the funny curvature of the fingers? Right? So this, this is an alpha, the, the, the Coptic letter A. And this is, this W-shaped thing is an omega. She says, I'm the first and the last. I have no beginning. I have no end. Because He was incarnate, at the Annunciation, it doesn't mean that he didn't exist from before. That's Arianism, or that's what Jehovah's Witnesses teach now, right? No, he has no beginning and no end, right? So he is the Alpha and the Omega. We touch our forehead to say, Lord, I love you with all my mind. Lord, I love you with all my being. You know, your navel's kind of like at the center of you, you know? Lord, I love you with all of my strength and all of my will. Right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Right? And in doing so, we say, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. The Coptic Church emphasizes one God, Amen, because, again, the Coptic Church is the one that led the fight against Arianism, Right? This idea that the Trinity is divided and so on. Other churches may not add one God, the, that last part, one God, amen. But we emphasize it also in our current modern day. It's very practical for people from other religions who say you believe in three gods. We say, no, we believe in one God. Right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. So that's how... We do the sign. Of course, some people just, you know, use their hands. Some people use a finger. Whatever. The whole point is you understand. So now you do whatever your fingers are able to do naturally. Right? But at least now you understand. At least now, at least now you know. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.